Well, hey, church, it is so good to be with you today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Frank Lucas. I am one of the pastors here at Community Covenant Church, and today we are going to be continuing on in our series, What About? But before we get there, this past Wednesday, we gathered out on the front lawn at church. Some of you tuned in online for a prayer and worship gathering, and it was just a joy to see so many of you. Now, we're definitely going to be having some more of these in the weeks and months to come, so stay tuned. Uh, You'll hear more about that. But the other night, as we closed our time together, there were two songs that we sang that really spoke to me, really in the moment, but even more so afterwards. Lord, I Need You and Waymaker. They were the last two songs we sang that night. And I'll be honest with you, I, I find that right now we are in a moment where we have never been more aware of our need for God, right? We, we need him. Our homes need God. Our neighborhoods, our schools, our, our communities, our, our leaders, our social media needs God. Our nation needs God. Our world needs God, needs you, God. But what I love about this is that we followed up this declaration that, Lord, I need you, we need you, with the song Waymaker, a song that we sing, and what we're doing is acknowledging that even though we may not be able to see that God is moving and that God is working, it doesn't mean that he is not. In fact, I truly believe that right now in this moment, God is moving really like never before. The question isn't, is God moving among us? It's, will we be still long enough to notice? See, I think God has been moving in the church these last few months, particularly in this series. What about, as we look at the the Sermon on the Mount? And and a few weeks ago, uh, when we were in the Deeper Still series, which was a, a kind of an excerpt of the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the Lord's Prayer, Pastor Greg shared the idea that the Lord's Prayer is curiously relevant to all people across all of human history. I love that. But I would would go on to suggest that the Sermon on the Mount really is curiously relevant to all people in all of history, particularly now. Because as individuals, as a church, as a community, as a nation, as a world, we need to move from worry to worship. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. Like never before do we need God to step in and help us move from hearts that are filled and troubled with worry to hearts that are full and overflowing with worship for our Creator. So with that, let's let's take a moment and invite God into this moment. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to dive into your word this morning, we just ask that you be present here. Lord, that you be the primary teacher. Lord, that you would soften soften our hearts, that you would open our minds and our ears, that we would be receptive to you, that you would reveal yourself new and fresh to us like never before. Lord, that you would turn over the tables of our hearts as we shift from hearts that are full of trouble and worry to hearts that are overflowing in worship 
because of your goodness and because of your love. So, Father, we commit this time to you. Amen. All right, church, well, buckle up. We have a lot that we are uh, going to try to get through uh, in these next few moments. And, and so with that, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at that passage a little bit more. Uh, I know that Dan read it for us earlier, and that was awesome. Dan, thank you so much for that. Uh, but I do want to just take some time to go through it one more time together. And while you're turning there, I'm not sure what translation of the Bible you may have handy at home, but today I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Uh, and if the words don't line up quite exact, that is perfectly okay. Now, so picture this as, as you're turning there. Jesus is sitting on the north shore on the Sea of Galilee. He's on the side uh, of a mountain, kind of looking out. He's talking to his 12 disciples who would be uh, presumably kind of right at his feet or right near him. There's crowds that are gathering around, kind of listening in on the teaching. As you look out, you can see the water. If you close your eyes, you can hear the waves crashing up against the shore. You can hear the wind blowing through the grass. If you look up, you can see the birds overhead. Scattered throughout the people are tall grasses and beautiful flowers just dancing in the sea breeze. You see, take a look at this picture for a moment, actually. This is uh, believed to be kind of the area where Jesus actually was when he uh, shared this Sermon on the Mount with his followers. It's a beautiful scene. And the reason I mention this to you is that sometimes we don't slow down enough to kind of notice the background, right? Sometimes it's just words on a page. But it's when we fail to notice the background and we get so caught up in the foreground, if you will, that we sometimes lose sight of God's goodness and God's faithfulness, and that results in an unnecessary worry and an unnecessary anxiousness. When we get caught up in the background or we get caught up in the important is when we move from hearts that are filled with worry to hearts that are filled with worship. So, the scene has been set. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. So hopefully you turn with me there, and we're just going to read through this real quick. Therefore, I tell you, you always have to ask, what is therefore, therefore? Now we're going to come back to that. Don't or do not worry about your life. Well then, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than the food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. He was known for his beautiful garments. He was the wealthiest man in the world. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. 
So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom. Say that again. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, there it is again, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, but for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The word of the Lord. So therefore, what is therefore, therefore? You see, what points is the question that we have to ask. What points is Jesus connecting here? In the section just before what we read today, Jesus talks about money and possessions. And certainly, I believe he's referencing that. I'd like to encourage you to maybe go back after today and and read through that a little bit. However, I think it's worth consideration that Jesus is referring to not just the previous few words, but rather the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety from beginning all the way up until this point. Therefore, is an invitation for his disciples, for the crowds that are listening in. Remember the picture, all the people scattered around? It's an invitation for these people to respond. Jesus is sharing what it's like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is the purpose. This is the calling on your life to be salt and light. Here's what you thought you understood about the law of Moses, but here's what it actually means. Here is how you live generously. Here is how you are to pray. Here's how you are to forgive. Here's how you are to fast. Here's how you handle your finances and your possessions. But it's as, it's as this now in this moment where we are as we've been climbing up the mountain, we're up at the top. We have a beautiful view. We see everything, and now we're being invited by Jesus. Therefore, therefore, what side of that mountain are you going to climb down? Are you going to hike down the other side to experience what's never been experienced before, to live life in a whole new way, live life to the fullest? Or are you going to go back down to what you knew, to what was familiar? Therefore, in consideration of all these things, I know you have questions, Jesus is thinking. I know what you're thinking. Well, what about this and what about that? What if this and what if that? Fill in the blank with whatever you will. Don't worry, he says. Don't worry. All right, that's it. (laughs) Don't worry. You see, it is that simple. It actually is that simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy and we can just do it like that. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes the most simple things in life, I would argue, are the most difficult. It's like when you get into an argument with your spouse. Anyone ever do that before? I'll be vulnerable with you. Yeah, it happens from time to time. You know what the simple thing to do is, the wise thing to do? It's typically to stop talking, right? But what happens? I just, I have to get that one last line in. That one last, ooh, I just, mm. if only, if only I bit my tongue, right? Like if only I didn't come out and say that one last thing. Simple, doesn't mean it's easy. See, our struggle with worry though, it's like this, It's, it's very real. 
I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you that your battle with worry and anxiety is not difficult because I'm gonna be honest with you, it is. It is extremely difficult. It can be really hard. Anxiety is an illness. It can be an illness. Just as real as cancer, just as real as having a broken bone. And the solution is not simply to just stand up here and for me to tell you to try harder. That's not what Jesus is saying in his word. That's not what I'm going to say to you today. What Jesus shares with us here, what I believe in the Sermon on the Mount, is that to overcome our worry, to move from worry to worship, what we need to do is we need to focus on what we know rather than on what we don't. You know what the worst thing to say to someone who is struggling with worry, uh, with worry or anxiety is? Don't worry. Right? Like that is the absolute worst thing you can say. Someone that's really struggling, someone that's really wrestling with this issue, you just go to them and say, you know what, don't worry. Unless you know something that they don't. You see, if you know something that they don't, when you say don't worry, you're, you then have the option or the opportunity, excuse me, to, to enlighten them. You see, in this instance, Jesus knows something that we don't, or at the very least, he knows and understands something that we fail to know and understand. So when Jesus says don't worry, it's okay because he knows something that we need to understand and we need to know. So stay with me here. I, I want to talk about worry here for, for a few moments. There is a huge difference between appropriate concern and ungodly worry. There is a huge difference, a big difference between an appropriate, healthy, godly concern and an ungodly, sinful worry. When you drive home from your house on Tuesday night and the winds are blowing and the rains are torrential and you turn the corner into your neighborhood and you see a tree leaning on the side of your house or perhaps you see a shingle has blown off from your roof and you are concerned that there may be a leak, you know what? That is okay. That is a healthy concern. That's okay. We, that's wise. We should take care and take concern for the things in our lives like this. But when we begin to shift our concern about a leak to being consumed with how are we ever going to afford a new roof, a new roof, a new roof right now, when we become consumed with all the what ifs, what if I lose my job and I can't pay for the roof? What if, what if more shingles blow off? What if another tree falls down? What if someone gets hurt? What if the leak actually gets into the attic and the insulation gets wet and then we have mold and the family gets sick? We end up in the hospital. It's like an episode out of a TV show. What if we hire a contractor and he messes it up so we got to hire another contractor? I can't afford one roof. How am I supposed to afford two? What if this? What if that? And the list goes on and on and on. We become consumed by this. You see, there is a difference between a concern in an ungodly worry. And if we're really honest, I mean really honest, we'll all start to realize that we often try to mask our ungodly worry as godly concern. We try to justify and rationalize our own anxieties. But don't kid yourself. The only person you're fooling 
is you. Certainly not God. Now, I would suggest that I'm someone who typically doesn't worry much. I tend to keep a level head. I get passionate about things, because some of you are sitting there like, what? No, no, I'm passionate. I get that. I can be intense, but I typically don't worry about things. Well, wouldn't you know? We're sitting in a staff meeting a couple weeks ago and say, Frank, why don't you, why don't you take the, the week on anxiety and on worry? I'm like, sure, no problem, I got that. And what happens? Like a ton of bricks, right? Worry. Note to self, turn down sermon topics that you're not ready to dive into and submit yourself to and get excited about as you prepare. But really, all kidding aside, I, I love how God moves. You see, like I'm, I'm getting ready to teach this and, and to share God's word with you, and God just gives me all these opportunities to experience this in a new and fresh way. He reveals himself to us in his time how we need to be shaped like his son. So the last few days, I've, I've had the opportunity to really surrender over to God my worry. Definitely more than once. Sometimes I've done that successfully, and there are some things I'm still wrestling with. But what did I learn? That there are certain things that are worth worrying about or worth being concerned about, and then there are definitely things that are not worth being worried about. So with all that, what do we do? How do we, how do we move from worry to worship? How do we move in our hearts from worry to worship. There's a few key things that I saw in the verses as I was preparing for this week that really stood out to me. The first of which is this. Life is far greater than what we produce and consume. You see, it's more than the car you drive. It's more than the house you live in, the neighborhood you live in. It's more than the school district your kids attend. It's more than the job you have. It's more than the letters at the beginning of your name or the letters at the end of your name. It's more than the raise, the promotion, the fence. Uh, It's more than the amount of zeros or commas in your 401k. It's more than the the amount of likes you get on Instagram or the amount of uh, friends you have on Facebook or the amount of followers on TikTok even. You see, at the end of the day, all these things, what do they do? They, They go back into the box. You see, 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is none of that, but only your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is your relationship and my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. So if you want to worry about something, that's it. I think that's the only exception we probably have when it comes to what we should actually worry about. So let's fix our eyes on the eternal rather than the temporary. Is it easy? No. But is it worth it? Absolutely. The second thing that jumps out to me in this passage is this. Jesus references the birds of the sky and how they don't worry. Now, I, I cannot help but think that Jesus gazes up at the birds flying around as he's talking with his disciples, right? Like he's, he's sharing with them and he kind of just sees flying over and maybe gazes up, points to them. I'm not sure. Now, personally, I'm, I'm terrified of birds. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a big guy, but I am absolutely terrified of these little animals. But that doesn't mean that we can't learn something from them. You see, what I think we can learn from birds is this. Not worrying does not mean not working. This is a key distinction. 
not worrying does not mean not working. You see, you don't see birds sitting down on the ground with their heads up pointed towards heaven with their beaks open wide waiting for God to drop food into their mouths. That's not what you see. But yet you never see a starving bird, do you? No, they're flying around working tirelessly for their food. Birds are hard workers. I talked about the storm the other night. There was no tree on my house, but a shingle or two did definitely blow off. Uh, uh, Wednesday morning, I woke up early, early, like I typically do. I had a cup of coffee out on my porch, and I noticed hundreds of birds in my yard going to town at all the insects and the worms that kind of were brought up to the surface from the amount of rain that we had the night before. The, the yard kind of flooded a little bit. Now, aside from being terrified in this moment, what did I notice? That these birds, these birds, they, they worked hard. They were relentless. There was hundreds of them all over the place, working not as individuals, but together. Last year, we went down to Ocean City, New Jersey. It was absolutely beautiful. We had a great time together as a family. I made the mistake of getting some french fries out on the pier and then walking out onto the boardwalk, and what happened? Bird flew down, didn't wait for me to give it to him. I wasn't going to anyway, but flew right down and just grabbed it right out of my hands. Shame on me for not walking around like this with my food. It was awful. You see, the birds didn't wait for someone to feed them. They went and took what they needed. They, they are hard workers. You see, not worrying does not mean not working. We have to work hard. Sometimes we use passages like this in the Bible as an excuse to kind of sit back and relax, but that's not what Jesus is saying to us here. He's saying, go for it, work hard, but remember where your provision comes from. Remember whom provides. Work hard, but drop to your knees and pray harder. You should work hard, but you should pray harder and remember where it comes from. Having faith in God doesn't mean we don't have to work hard. What it means is this, that we don't have to worry about the fruits of our labor because at the end of the day, God is the provider of all that we have. Not bits and pieces of it, all of it. Not worrying means we don't have to worry about the fruits of our labor because we know and acknowledge that God is the provider of all things. See, worry is a result of trusting in our own hands more than his hands. And we trust in our own hands because we often forget how valuable we are to him. Look what it says in verse 26. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus referring to the birds. Like, don't you think God cares more about you than he does these winged animals? And look how he provides for them. Oh, you think your hands are calloused from all your hard work. Look at the scars in mine. Thirdly, worry is worthless. Next verse in 27, it says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Some translations use the phrase, can add a single cubit to your stature. Regardless of the translation, translation that you're looking at, the message is clear. What Jesus is saying is 
No matter how much you worry, you cannot add to your life in any way, shape, or form. You can't make it longer. You can't make yourself taller. You can't make your reach greater. You cannot better your life through worry. I can't think of a more unproductive thing or sin than worrying. Not only does it not add to your life, it actually takes away from it. Think about all that you've missed out both physically and emotionally because of worry. It affects your health and it affects your relationships. Your fear about tomorrow robs you of the joy today. Worry is worthless. And in fact, it's more than that. I would go on to say worry is actually hurtful and the person that it hurts most is you. Worry is worthless. Next point, moving right along, is maintained perspective, found in verses 28 through 30. As Jesus was teaching, he's sitting on the mountainside. We talked about this, and he calls attention to the flowers in the grasses out in the fields and how they grow and how God cares for them. God's beauty, God's provision, his care is literally on display all around. But what happens? We get so caught up in worry that we miss out on the very opportunity God provides for us to worship. We get so caught up in the foreground, in the urgent, that we miss what God is doing in the background, in the important. Sometimes we need to simply step back, gain some perspective. We need to Call a time out. Go for a walk. Open up his word. Spend some time in prayer with the Father, not just talking to him, but rather talking with him, which often requires more listening. Man, when we pray, we often pray with our, our heads bent down, eyes closed, mouths open. But when we're truly aware of who God is, perhaps our posture would change, right? We'd pray, heads up, eyes open, mouths shut. Take a time out. Maybe, maybe grab a journal, jot some things down, reach out to a friend, someone who can help you remember who God is, what God has done, what he's doing in you, and what he is doing through you. You see, when we do these things, what that allows for us to do is to surrender our ungodly worry and trade it in for a worship that glorifies him and in turn brings us joy. It's surrendering our will for his. It's seeking his kingdom, not our own. Now, at the end of verse 30, Jesus sneaks this little, this little piece in there. He says, oh, you of little faith. Now, I can't help but think that Jesus is perhaps looking right in the eyes of one of his disciples, whom I'm not sure. I could, I could guess. Or perhaps he's actually looking at each one of them. He, he pauses and just shifts his attention, his focus, his gaze to every person there. I know for me, as, as I was preparing this week and I read that, it was like a little dagger. Jesus was staring into the depths of my soul. Perhaps right now he's staring into yours. I'm kind of glad there's, 
actually no one in the room right now, so I don't have to make eye contact with anyone. To paraphrase Charles Spurgeon, he suggests this, that little faith is not a little fault. Because fundamentally, little faith is a result of denying the fullness and the greatness of God's love for you. There is no greater demonstration of God's love, care, and provision for me and for you than the cross. Because at the cross, what did Jesus do? He gave it all. He didn't leave anything on the table. He gave it all. And when we acknowledge that deep down within our soul, deep down within our bones, it then becomes easier. Notice how I don't say easy, all right? It becomes easier, not easy, to release, to surrender our worries over to him, not by our own strength, but rather by his strength. You see, Jesus isn't inviting us to do something that he wasn't first willing to do himself. Jesus had to surrender his worry and his anxiousness over to his father in the same way that we have to. And if he was able to do it, knowing the price that he was going to pay, surely we can, by his strength, surrender our worry for worship. Now, the last point I want to make as we close out today is this. And this is really what it all comes down to. In verse 33, it says this. But, but, let's just pause there for a moment. Sometimes when we're, we're reading through Scripture, there's these little words, there's these little phrases that jump out. This is one of them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus is calling on us over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, to prioritize the kingdom of God in our lives. Not for some time in the distant future, but for right now, here and now, for this moment, not tomorrow, but for today, that we, that we may surrender our will for his, our kingdom for his kingdom, so that we may experience life in the fullest possible way. So the question really is, what are you waiting for? This is not a save the date. This is an invitation for this moment. This moment. You see, church, the bottom line is this. To move from worry to worship It requires that we seek first the kingdom of God, not as another to-do or another priority, but rather as the foundation of every to-do and as every priority. We don't choose seeking the kingdom or work. We seek the kingdom in how we work. We don't choose seeking the kingdom or our education. We seek the kingdom in how we pursue our education. We don't seek the kingdom or our lives at home. We can seek it in how we live at home, on vacation, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our finances. You get the idea. We can seek the kingdom in all things. It's not just another to-do. It is the foundation of every to-do. It is a posture in the way in which we live our lives. When we allow the kingdom of God to be the foundation of everything, our focus will shift from worry to worship. Because instead of focusing on the what-ifs in life, 
we start focusing on the what is in life. And that is this, that God is at work in this broken mess, in this broken shell of a person, and he is changing me from the inside out by the power of his son, Jesus Christ, to be more like him so that I can be a beautiful masterpiece, so that I can live life in the fullest possible way. That is true for me, and that is true for you. When we focus on the what ifs, we miss out on the what is, and the what is is that, is that he came so that I could have life eternal that I could experience life in the fullest, not just then, but now, today, in this moment. You don't need to worry and rely on your own strength when you truly understand the depths of which God has done and continues to love and serve and demonstrate his love for you. You see, each and every single one of us right now has tuned in today with hearts that are filled with things that trouble us. We have hearts that are cluttered, Perhaps some of you could go and list all those things off right now. And then there are others of you who maybe need to ask God to seek God and, and ask him, invite him to reveal to you what it is that you're, you're hiding from, what it is that you're not ready to surrender over to him. You see, church, you cannot surrender that which you are unaware. Right? You, you can't surrender that which you are unaware. Unaware. So right now, invite God to show you the things that you don't see. Hand them over to him. Trade in that worry. Trade in that hurt. Trade in that shame. Trade in that guilt. Trade in that brokenness for worship in response to all of who he is in all that he is doing in you, through you, and around you. In this moment, right now. We have a choice. We can start to climb down the other side of the moment. That's the invitation from Christ, trusting in his goodness, in his greatness, in his love for us, or we can head back down the way we came, relying on our strength, relying on what we know, on our familiarity. You can't sit up top forever. You're going down one side or the other. So which is it going to be? Focus on the king and the kingdom. Focus on his will, or your own. Now as we close, am I suggesting that if at the end of the day you surrender to God and to his kingdom, that all your worries are gonna disappear and that you'll never struggle with this ever again? No. Man, I wish there was like some magic verse I could share with you or, there isn't. This is, this is hard. It's simple, but it's not easy. But rather what I'm saying is this, is that we can worship God despite our worry. We can seek first his kingdom rather than our own. There's gonna be days where it's easier and there'll be days where it's harder. But by the power of the Holy Spirit alive and well within us, we can. Can you only begin to imagine, church, what it would look like if we traded in as a community, as a, as a nation, as a world, if we traded in our worry for worship. Can you even begin to imagine? But it all starts with a choice. What side of the mountain 
are you going to climb down?